Welcome to the Kingdom Crossroads Podcast with Pastor Bob Thibodeau. Pastor Bob conducts personal interviews with Christian influencers from around the globe, helping Christian authors, recording artists, CEOs, entrepreneurs, nonprofit leaders, and yes, pastors and ministry leaders to get the word out about what they are doing to impact the world with the gospel. Our podcast has been rated in the top one half percent of all podcasts in the world by listennotes.com. So you know your message will be heard. Now, here is your host with today's interview, Pastor Bob Thibodeau. Hello, everyone, everywhere. Pastor Robert Thibodeau here. Welcome to the Kingdom Crossroads podcast. We're so blessed that you're joining us today. I have a very special guest with us today. Jonathan Drayton was raised in a traditional Christian home, living by his faith, you know, basically through the shelter of his parents. After finishing college, having read all the books to get good grades in school, graduating with degrees in philosophy, political science, and history, he discovered he was still lacking something. And he suddenly came to the realization that he needed to accept the reality of the Bible for himself. And that Bible had just been sitting on the bookshelf collecting dust all this time. And he says getting to know God and building a personal relationship with Christ had to become a priority in his life. As a born-again believer, Jonathan recognized he needed to focus on the main truth, which is the Bible. He also turned to sharing the Word of God through his podcast, The Truth of the Matter Is. What a name for a podcast. Praise God. I told Jonathan before we started, I should have grabbed that one. Praise the Lord. And we're going to be discussing this podcast today. Amen. Help me welcome to the program. Jonathan Drake. Jonathan, thank you for taking the time to join us today, man. I do appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Hey, man. Now, the first question I always start with is this. Other than that brief information I just shared, can you tell us in your own words, who is Jonathan Drake? Well, Jonathan Drake is a person that's continued to grow, to mature, to look at life from various different perspectives, a person that's always willing to learn, a person I loves people, loves communicating, loves having deep dialogue about the world, about God's word, about life. I was an athlete. I love playing football. I still do. I enjoy the sports, basketball. I'm a well-rounded individual. That's what I would say I am. And I love Jesus, of course. Amen. Top priority right there. Hallelujah. Amen. Now, as I mentioned, you do have a college background in philosophy, political science, and history. Now, after graduating... What did you notice about your faith, and and how did that lead you to what you're doing right now? Yeah, I would say once I got into college, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. I knew for sure athletics was a priority for me. I loved football. I actually thought I was going to be a football player, and I found out soon enough that that isn't what, what God wanted me to do, right? I enjoyed the discipline and what it took to actually play football and the commitment that was required of me, the training, the lifting, the running, the bonding, the relationship building that you have with your teammates, those were all great things. But I needed to find out what I was going to do for school, what I got to major in, and what I was going to do after that. So I actually first majored in history because I loved history, different perspectives, you know, how our world is shaped and how we've come to where we are, right? Our past and everything that's associated with the makeup of where we are currently. But then something triggered for me and I majored, I actually took a 
course, philosophy. And it was just what fascinated me about philosophy was just thinking outside the box, thinking critically about the world and, you know, where my place is in it. And it was ethics that changed my perspective that had me shift my major from history to then philosophy. And then ultimately, that's what led me to triple major in those three categories. Wow. I feel like all those subjects centered around who we are, who you are, and what your purpose is, what your destiny is, and ultimately the impact that you can have moving forward. So that's what it did for me. Philosophy was a major part. Yeah, amen, yeah. amen. You know, by combining those three, I mean, that gives you like a unique perspective, as you said, on like the development of where we are today, amen? Yes. And how does that tie into your faith? How does that help you share your faith with others? Yeah, because when I was growing up, you know, obviously being in the comfort and the security of my parents, I was trying to understand God. And I understood the supernatural was very real. I was able to see it as a child and I saw how it flooded the gates every single Sunday when I attended church. But then I said, well, how can I understand God? And then I understood that Understanding God is about having a personal interaction, a personal relationship with him. And my biggest thing was I didn't experience anything supernatural in my personal experience. But what kept knocking at my heart was reading God's word, that God speaks to his word, that he sounds exactly like what he wrote. And it was through philosophy where I had this desire to search. And I'll never forget, there was a conversation Jesus had with Peter. Actually, before, you know, he was ultimately going to be crucified. And he talked about how the devil seeks to have you. Right. And he says, but I pray that your faith doesn't fail you. And ultimately, I loved it in the NLT because in the NLT translation, it talks about how Jesus said that you're going to come back much stronger than you once were and use that to then strengthen your brothers. So ultimately, I understood that, okay, there's something about the scriptures that have a way of putting things in proper perspective for me. Let me go down that road. Now, ultimately, once I graduated and I graduated and I considered myself a philosopher, most philosophers like to explore knowledge and insight separate from God. But I soon realized, especially when I said I would be I would appreciate if I was called a Christian philosopher. Most people would say that doesn't make any sense, right? They're diametrically opposed. They're musically exclusive. How do you bring these two ideas together? And when I started reading Proverbs, it was chapter 9, verse 10, that says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, the word fear there is just reverence, just to have respect for someone or something. And in this, for me, it was Christ. So there was nothing wrong with me exploring and digging deep because we know in isaiah it also tells us come let us reason together which means there are reasonings and there are dialogues and conversation god wants to have that's what relationship is all about it's what you put into it so i understood that i could still think philosophically but through the context is under the umbrella of god's word so when i started doing that my understanding and my questioning of looking through the scriptures and viewing the scriptures through different lenses. So, you know, you go to you go to school, you have all these different schools of thoughts, these different philosophies. So you got psychology, you got sociology, you got 
philosophy, you got political science, you got economics, you have all these different schools of thoughts. And when you read the scriptures, all these different schools of thoughts are rooted within the scripture, even history. You're just looking at it through that lens. So I think sometimes we do the Bible so, so much through a spiritual lens that we forget the practicality of the scriptures as well. Mm-hmm. And that can be very useful in how you can apply it to everyday life as you're living through God's word and you're striving to be holy as he's holy. So that's exactly what did it for me. And Amen. I tell you, man, there's so much in God's word that's with, full with so much information and knowledge and wisdom that you can obtain. And God is speaking through it every day. And he's telling you how you can approach things from a unique perspective that can open up your eyes. So you can no longer be blind, but that you can see. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Let's focus on that uh, different lenses. You know, you, you continue to share the importance about viewing the Bible through different lenses. What lenses are you talking about? Different versions of the Bible or or what? No, no. So when I say lenses, so I'll give you an example. When Jesus, we go to Luke 4 and Matthew 4 for an example. Jesus was tempted in three different ways. I would say he was tempted religiously. He was tempted politically. And he was tempted economically. You might say, well, Jonathan, what are you talking about? Where when the devil said, turn those stones into bread, I have a basic hermeneutic. So hermeneutic is the study of how you interpret scripture, right? You have different lenses in regards to how your how the scripture makes sense, right? Because if you read the scripture from front to back, you'll think that everything is direct. And sometimes that's not the case. In fact, if you really go through and you really want to understand a basic hermeneutic, right? There's different perspectives. There's a worldview. There's a purpose in when you're reading God's word. There are themes. There's an audience. There's a context. There's supportive text. There's a language. There's prejudice, right? And there's grammar. So when you study the word of God and you're looking at it through these different lenses, all these worldview concepts, the interpretation, it, un- it opens up your understanding. So let's go back to what I was mentioning. When you look in Luke, Four, and you look at Matthew 4, the devil said, turn those stones and turn that stone into bread. One is speaking from an individual perspective, right? Jesus obviously is in the desert for 40 days. And obviously he's tempting Jesus to use his power irresponsibly. So how does he do that, right? He's attacking him from his humanity. What, so what's part of hum- your humanity? You're hungry. You need something to eat, Right. So he's saying, use your power irresponsibly in this moment so that he can question him in his divinity, even though he's in his humanity. When he said, turn those stones into bread, well, what can you do with bread? You can turn it into monetary value, economics, right? When he told Jesus to, if you know, if you throw yourself down, the angels will come and rescue you, using your power religiously, irresponsibly. When he said to him, I will give you all these nations in the world, kingdoms if you bow down to me political power that's territory right so i'm saying when you look at the scripture there are times in which the scripture shows you that these are things that are happening guess what when you look at jesus crucifixion that's very political why because when it came to getting an an understanding where jesus what went they went after judas Tempt them with money, ultimately, so they can find out what his location is. Now, we understand when it comes to what happened to Jesus when it came to the crucifixion is that he was being judged. He was brought before the courts. 
Yeah. Right. Amen. And we understand yeah. that they tainted a lot of what happened because he was an innocent man. Right. But they would brought up false witnesses. And we see this in the justice system all the time. We, they brought up false witnesses to convict Jesus. And guess what the scripture said? None of the witnesses and their stories were all lined up. Mm-hmm. Right? right. So right. we see these things in scripture. When Jesus spoke to Pilate, right? Pilate talked about how he had the power to free him. And then Jesus said, you will have no power. Over right. These are all different lenses within the scripture that when you read them, you see that obviously we understand through prophecy that Jesus was going to face these things. But there's still a political attachment when they went to decide who was going to judge Jesus. Right. They went to two different affairs, officials within the jurisdiction of where they can find the reason and cause for crucifying, right? Remember, the Jews during the time were observing Passover, so they didn't want no dealings with trying to crucify Jesus, so they tried to put it on Pilate, right? And he had yeah. no reason to crucify. So, obviously, punishment came as a result of that, but the point is, my perspective about when you read the scriptures is that we have the religious element to it, but then there's also other lenses that come in when it, when it comes to comprehending and understanding what God is intentionally doing here in terms of how we our minds can be opened up to yeah. how these different lenses yeah. play a role. Even yeah. when it came to Judas, and we know Judas eventually, with the money, right, didn't want any more. But psychologically, we know what he was going through, right? He just hold on Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. And it got to the point that he was so much in a psychological trance that he hung himself with the guilt, right? So when you look at these things and you want to study, well, why is this person so in distress and frustrated and angry? You start to see that there's a lot more going on. Uh, yeah. I'll give you another example. When when Jesus spoke to the gentleman who sat at the pool and kept using it as an excuse to why he didn't want to be healed, right? He talked to Jesus about his circumstances, right? So psychologically, psychologically, Jesus said to him, psychologically, Jesus said to him, he said, do you want to get well? He didn't ask him about his circumstance. He didn't ask him about anything that he was dealing with. He just wanted to know, do you want to get well? And what did he do? He talked about why he couldn't. And guess what? He was so used to begging in the predicament that he was in that eventually once he's healed, his way of life had to change. He could no longer do what it was that he was doing before, which means you got to adapt. You got to get a job now, right? So people don't realize that in Scripture, once things are done and is addressed, However you've been living life up to this point requires change, and that requires you making a change ultimately to approach things differently. And we understand that change is not easy for a lot of us. Amen. That's but true. That's that's been my idea. So, I, and obviously I can run through other things when it comes to Scripture, but yeah, that's an example. Amen. Amen. I love how you reference the importance of hermeneutics on your podcast as, as well as what you're doing here. How do you help your listeners understand the concept of using correct hermeneutics in their Bible studies? Yeah, so what it is is that I think you have to expose people to see that when you read things, right, we understand there are some that like to cherry pick verses. Like, oh, I like this over here, so I'm going to use it. Context is very important, and who the audience is very important. Because I'll give you an example. I was out doing a delivery the other day. And a gentleman came up to me, right? And he said, hey, uh, do you believe in God? And I said, yes. He said, do you believe that God is also a woman? 
So I started laughing. And the reason why I started laughing is because when you go to Galatians, you know, at the time, Paul is using a example on everyday life, and he uses the two women, Sarah and Hagar, right? So if you read that, the scripture says, and Jerusalem is our mother. If you stop right there, then his, his theology is correct. But if you keep reading, he's using it as an example to distinguish the difference between the free woman and the woman that's slave. And we are the children of the free woman, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Right? So what mm-hmm. happens is, is when you encounter people and they make statements and they no longer continue to read, you have broken theology. You know, it's interesting because Jesus said in Luke chapter 10, I believe it's verse 24 to 27, he's having a, con- a conversation with an expert in the law. And one of the things he says in that conversation, he says, you're an expert in the law. How do you read it? You know what mm-hmm. he's saying? Is your prejudice and your bias going to impact the way you interpret the scripture? So when you come in with your bias, and you come in with the way that you see the world, your own framework, and it's shattered, your lens is shattered, then everything that you read about God and how he's loving and he's comforting, he's compassionate, right? And he's faithful. Your whole reality in terms of who God has shattered just, just based upon mis- a misunderstanding. So what I like to do is the reason why I incorporate the different translations, like the NLT, the NIV, the English Standard Version, the Amplified, is because when you're trying to disseminate the message to the masses, we understand that the King James Version is very valuable, but it's also Old English. There are some people that will read the King James Version, for an example, where Jesus says, come. The King James Version says, suffer the little children. Does that mean Jesus says, suffer the little children? When you read it in another translation, it says, bring the children to me. So there's a, there's, there's a distinction sometimes that can be misheard. And what happens is what's so beautiful about scripture is that if it's stated in one place, the Bible is full of patterns, principles, and precepts, which means that it will be repeated in another section to know that it's consistent with the overall message. So we can't build theology based off of one concept or one idea. You have to see that the Bible is going to be a pattern, so it's going to be consistent somewhere else. So that's how you're able to string ideas together and even bring in the standard of supportive text because God is consistent. If mm-hmm. he says one thing in one area, you guarantee this in another. The Old Testament mm-hmm. is influenced in the New Testament. When Paul writes, he referenced the New Testament. When Peter writes, he referenced the New Testament. When Jesus came, he fulfilled the Old Testament by implementing things, right? We were just talking about Jesus being in the wilderness. You know he used scripture to def- to address the devil. He was quoting Deuteronomy. Yeah. Deuteronomy right. chapter 8. Amen. So yep. I'm saying the Bible in itself is a book that's constantly supporting it- itself. And it's constantly reminding you that the ideas are not necessarily new. The ideas are reminding what is of old, but maybe giving it in a, in a new understanding of it to kind of open up your mind. So what I do with my audience is I say, hey, for every text and every word I stated, you'll be surprised that if one thing is being stated, and let's say hypothetically chapter 24, there has to be a, a reason behind it. It might be in chapter 21. It might be all the way in chapter 22. 
I mean, it might be all the way in chapter two. You just don't know. But mm -hmm. the whole purpose of incorporating that hermeneutics brings everything to his understanding. And I talk about paradoxes. Like, paradoxes are extremely absurd statements, but once researched and understood, well found out, you'll learn to realize how realistic it really was. Right. Amen. But you have yeah. to be open to the idea of seeing that. Wait a second. It seems like it's contradictory until you realize that it's actually not contradictory, but it's done in such a literal. It's done in such a literary sense that it has much more meaning and monetary value once you actually research it and realize that God is revealing something here. But it might take some time, might take some understanding, might take some growth, it might take some development to get there. That's what Amen. I've always said, Amen. that God, you know, sometimes I, I'll give you this example and then I guess we can move on. I used to think, so there's a passage in Matthew 5 where it says, we are the light of the world and the salt of the earth. If the salt of the earth loses its saltiness, how can it become salty again? I used to think as believers, our jobs, I, I used to think we were the main course. That's what I used to think. But I've learned over time that well, we are the alternative to society, which means that, you know, in Thessalonians, it talks about, you know, living a quiet life to earn the respect of outsiders. And in First John, it talks about, you know, God is light in him is no darkness at all. If we came to be in fellowship with him and yes, live in the darkness, we don't live out the truth. People are contingent to see that when it comes to us as believers, you know, I don't think it was a mistake when Peter said, always be prepared to give him a reason for the hope that you have, but do it gently and respectfully. Mm -hmm. Make sure all your speech is seasoned with salt so you know how you ought to answer people. That's in Colossians. I think it's interesting to realize that when it comes to us as believers, we have to allow those who are curious to ask questions, yeah, to open yeah. the door for us to minister to them. If we bash them, right? And we ultimately bash them. We don't give them the opportunity to then reflect, right? right. And, and, I, and I say this because when Jesus had a conversation with the rich young ruler in the book of Mark, he said, you know, I've done all these things you've asked me. And Jesus said, you lack one thing. Give up all your riches and come follow me. Now, most people will say if Jesus really loved him because the rich man, the, the rich young ruler went away, sadly. And you might say, well, Jesus loved him. Why not go after him? The reason why Jesus didn't go after him, right, philosophically, is sometimes you got to love people at a distance. They need time to reflect. Now, we don't know what ended up happening. However, sometimes you're not going to get everything right then and there. It takes time, development. And I think sometimes when it comes to God loving us, he wants us to be the best version of ourselves. But if he wants us to be the best version of ourselves, we, we also have to admit that we need help and assistance. Yeah. And that takes time for people to arrive at that. They're not going to arrive at it in the moment. But reflection is a powerful thing. Oh, and through yeah. reflection, you could then reevaluate things and consider things you didn't do when you're hot-headed and you're in, you're in your own mind and your own thoughts. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah, amen. So. Amen. Yeah. Now, I know when... I was preparing for today's interview. I listened to the podcast you were on previously, and you shared some information about a court case in Wisconsin concerning homeschooling. I want to bring that up. Share with yeah. us the importance of that court case, what you learned from it, and how it applies to what you're doing with your ministry. 
Okay. So the name of the court case is Jonas Yoder versus the state of Wisconsin in 1972. And I brought this up because it talks of, it talks about, I came up with a concept that's called conviction versus preference. And conviction versus preference has to do with where we are in our faith walk with Christ. Right? A conviction is something you believe in no matter what, regardless of the circumstances. A preference is something that changes over, changes based upon the circumstance. So when it comes to, uh, so when it comes to deciding whether or not you're going to believe something, it's rooted obviously if you're convinced. So when it comes to faith, right? Ultimately, it takes courage to believe. That's why in the Hall of Faith, you know, Hebrews 11, it talks about all the individuals that didn't know what was coming and yet still believed and they faced torture. They faced ridicule. They were murdered. They were burned alive. They were boiled. And yet they still believe. Right. There are some that when pressure amounts, they give out. Mm -hmm. so two examples that come to mind, the book of Daniel. Right. When they were going to be tossed into the fire because they didn't bow down. They had a decision to make. Are we going to stand on our beliefs or are we going to give in? And you know what they said? Even if God does not say this, you still believe. Another example was the young gentleman who couldn't walk and his children knew he couldn't walk since he was young. And they said that they kicked him out because he said that obviously Jesus ultimately healed them, right? But rather than faltering under pressure, he stayed committed to the fact that he believed. And when Jesus encountered him, he, he, he worshiped and he bowed down to him. He acknowledged him because he stood on what he believed. So when it comes to us as believers, you know, I want us to be much more sounded in this thing that we believe. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe he's our savior. We believe he's our Lord. We believe that he holds the keys of life and death and power of his hand, which is why he tells us in the Gospel of John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Whoever believes in me, obviously, is what we have to do. We have to believe in him. Amen. Hey, folks, Pastor Bob here. We're out of time for today's portion of this great interview with Jonathan Drayton. Folks, there is no doubt that studying hermeneutics and using hermeneutics as we study the Bible and go through it is so important. I mean, you, you have to understand how to let the Bible interpret the Bible. Amen? You know, many Bible people today, they go through and they'll find you know one scripture and then make a theology out of it. And it doesn't work that way. Okay, There is not a different Jesus for every person in the world. It's the same Jesus. It's the same Word. It's the same Bible. And we need to study it in that context. And and you know, we're not talking about different versions of the Bible. We are just talking about the Bible. And Jonathan, with his background of philosophy and political science history, he is diving deep in this. His podcast, The Truth of the Matter, is, is one that you need to listen to. He is going deep on these subjects. And the truth of the matter is, you need to subscribe to his podcast. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And the good news is, this is just part one of what turned out to be a great two-part interview. Drop down the show notes, click the links right there, get in touch with Jonathan, but be sure to come back for the conclusion of this episode and the 
the conclusion of this interview in the very next episode. Praise God. Till then, it's Pastor Bob Ryan. Be blessed in all that you do. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Kingdom Crossroads Podcast. Please subscribe to our podcast so you can be notified when another episode is published. With over 800 interviews and 1,000 published episodes, Pastor Bob is known as a podcasting expert for helping others to create their own podcast to share their messages with the world. Please visit our website at www.podcastersforchrist.com. That web address again is www.podcastersforchrist.com for more information. Until next time, be blessed in all that you do. Are you a Christian entrepreneur, coach, or author with a message that needs to be heard? Picture this, your voice reaching thousands, your story inspiring hearts, and your business flourishing like never before. Introducing Faithcasters, the ultimate platform that connects faith-driven professionals like you with the power of podcasting. Become a sought-after guest on Faith-Based Podcasts. Share your unique insights and connect with like-minded individuals who share your passion for faith and entrepreneurship as well. Imagine your expertise reaching a wider audience, expanding your network, and propelling your business to new heights. Well, it's all within reach with Faithcasters. So don't wait. Take the first step today on your journey to greatness by visiting our website at faithcaster.org. That's faithcaster.org. Join the Faithcasters community now and unleash the full potential of your faith-driven enterprise. You do not want to miss this opportunity. Faithcasters, where faith meets podcasting and your dreams become reality. Visit faithcaster.org. Let's soar together. And remember, anyone can be a podcaster, but only a Christian can become a faithcaster. Faithcasters, your voice, your platform, your success.